good morning. Today's scripture is from Jonah 2. Um, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, please. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars were closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. You can be seated. We are in the book of Jonah, and uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into our, our time of uh, studying. We're going to be in Jonah 2, as I said, um, the prayer of Jonah. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, uh, I pray that as we look at your word, as we reflect on the prayer of a man who um, is acknowledging and finally realizing that he was out of your will, that it would teach us, that it would instruct us in the places of where and show us where we might not be in conformity to your will. Where like Jonah in chapter 1 was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, that we have areas in our life that we are fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and that with the grace that you showed Jonah to reveal that to him, the grace that you showed Jonah to let him see that he was running away, that you would give us that grace. Lord, I pray for myself. Please, God, help me speak with clarity and compassion. Lord, I pray that this text would speak to me first before I can communicate it. All the things that would be really helpful and would, would glorify you, Lord, help me say those things. And those things that wouldn't be helpful, keep me from that. And, and more than anything, Lord, as we examine the prayer of repentance for lack of mission, may we all develop within us right now a desire to want to carry out mission and where we're not, God, that we would acknowledge it and that we would want to, um, like Jonah, repent for our lack of love of, of our fellow man. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Jonah 2, and so we're kind of picking up mid-story. And let me, let me catch you up, if, just in case you kind of missed out on last week. I'm just going to do it in a couple minutes. Um, last, last week we saw in Jonah 1 uh, a picture of someone who had been given a call. He had been given a call to go be a missionary. And really, there were kind of three things that we wanted to see um, in this. And the first thing is um, that God had revealed to Jonah that he was called to mission. 
and that also he's revealed to us that we're called to mission. He, he revealed that to Jonah in, chapter, in verses 1 and 2, and he's revealed it to us all throughout the scripture. We can, you know, namely point out the Great Commission in Matthew 28, etc. And so the call to mission was given to him. And at that moment, Jonah had a choice. What am I going to do? And then we see in the rest, well, not the rest, but almost the rest of chapter 1 in verses 3 through 16, Jonah working out whether he's going to obey this. We see Jonah disobeying and running away from the presence of the Lord, not obeying and going to Nineveh and telling people about Jesus. And so we are calling them to repentance into God. So we, we know that that means for us um, that we can willingly choose to obey or disobey this call in our life to be evangelists. This call in our life to be missionaries. This call in our life to tell people about Christ. And the third thing we see is in 117 where... Um, God disciplines Jonah. And so the third thing we know about mission in our life is that when we choose to disobey, we will be disciplined for that. And discipline, though it is painful at the time, we know in Hebrews yields a fruit of righteousness. It, it, it makes us more holy. And so at the very end of the sermon, I just wanted us to acknowledge last week that you would say and I would say we would all say, I'm Jonah. I have been called to mission. And there are definitely times in my life where I don't want to carry out that mission. And we didn't say anything more. We didn't talk about repenting of that. We didn't say, we just all wanted to acknowledge that we are Jonah. If I would have said, let's repent, then I would have tipped my cards and I would have had nothing to say today. So today, since we all acknowledged that last week, that we're Jonah, now we're going to move into chapter two. And we're going to, as we look through chapter two, ask this question. All right, if that's the case, if you're Jonah and I'm Jonah, what do we do with that? What are we supposed to do? If we are called to mission and we don't, fulfill that we don't carry out mission in our life we find ourselves as we go through this christian life um from whenever you get saved till the day you die where you don't talk about jesus you don't tell people about the gospel what are we supposed to do just kind of cruise through life and let it be that way or like jonah come to an acknowledgement of that and then repent from our lack of participation in god's mission and so that's what we see here today in this particular chapter is Jonah's prayer of repentance of not participating in God's mission. Um, now, here's the deal. <clears throat> Sinclair Ferguson says this. Um, I think we would all agree that this is a very dramatic story of a man being called back to doing mission. I mean, he's swallowed by a fish. All right. More than likely, you're never going to have that happen. So it can be as dramatic as. On one side is being swallowed by a fish to the undramatic. He says this, God is able to use means to bring us back to himself, which are as undramatic as these means were dramatic. So you can just be walking down the hallway one day and say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing mission. It can be that undramatic all the way down the spectrum to being swallowed by a fish. Now, I don't think any of you will ever be swallowed by a fish, but um, anywhere in between that spectrum, that is where we're all going to fall here. And so... He's going to do the point is that he's going to allow whatever is necessary, bring about whatever is necessary in your life to restore you back to wanting to live a life of mission. And and here's the deal. I want you today to say, okay, whatever it is, if it's walking down the hallway all the way down to being swallowed by a fish anywhere on that spectrum, and it could be as painful as that. It could be someone whom you love pointing it out pretty directly. It could just be an act of repentance this morning. But wherever it falls, I want you to uh, willingly say, yes, I want to do that. Now, let me just read you um, from the life of Paul uh, a few verses 
um, about what was the central thought in the, Paul, in the life and mind of Paul as he was a missionary. And this is just a few verses. These won't be on the screen. Just, just listen to them. Romans 1.15. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Um, so we can see Paul's desire to want to preach the gospel. And that's kind of the, the theme for the rest of it. This is Romans 15.20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Um, here's another one. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In other words, um, you don't have to speak the, the gospel with, with very much eloquence at all. As a matter of fact, the more eloquence you decorate the gospel with, the more you vacuum out its power. And, and he's saying, I certainly don't want that to happen. So help me preach the gospel, not with words of eloquence. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity has been laid upon me. Because I'm not preaching the gospel to boast about myself. I'm preaching the gospel because it's been shown to me that it's necessary. And then he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Now, these are just statements of a man who is just so amazed by the love of God in his life that he has to preach the gospel. Here's another one in Ephesians six nineteen. It says, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth to boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And this is the last one I want to read you in first Thessalonians two, two. It says this, if I can find it. First Thessalonians two, two. Um, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So here we see a man whose life is dominated by one central thought. I want to preach the gospel. And as I read those texts, that's the kind of person I want to be. And I, I think that if you're in Christ and you're honest, that's the kind of person you want to be. So as we look at this prayer, um, I think that all of us can say, all right, I've got some room to, to grow and what I want to learn, what I want you to learn from this text today is how can we grow in being the kind of person that is just like Paul, wherever I go, whatever nook, whatever cranny of this world, whether I'm in my job or my family or the classroom or wherever, I want to preach the gospel. I want to proclaim the gospel to people. I think if we're honest. That's what we all want in our life. So what I want you to do is if you're seeing that's what's the case, I want to do it. And you're also seeing, but I don't do it ever. We've got a, a great outline in Jonah 2 for some things that we need to kind of walk through um, in our own lives. Prayers of repentance. So we're going to see five aspects of repentance for our lack of mission in Jonah chapter 2. And as we're going to see here, this is, this is all about the belly of the fish. But um, sometimes we think of the belly of the fish as kind of Jonah's prison or death chamber. Um, totally in whatever his name is, says this. It's just ridiculous. It's T-C-H-I-V-I-D-J-I-A-N. I mean, it's Billy Graham's grandson. That's who it is. He says this. Um, as we will see, the fish's belly was not Jonah's prison or death chamber, but only a temporary hospital for his soul. So the fish served as a, as a place of restoration for Jonah. As a place of restoration. And we'll see that the waters were the judgment. Now, here's the deal. Um, One seventeen is really in the Hebrew text, part of chapter 2. So 117 and 210 are kind of the bookends of this idea. So we see in 117 where God is appointing a fish to swallow him. And we see in 210 where God is appointing a fish to vomit Jonah up. 
Um, and I did some some Hebrew study and I was really hoping like a golden nugget on vomit. But it's just vomit. It's just, you know, to dispel from the mouth. There was nothing glorious in there, but I was hoping there was some gold in there, but there was nothing. Anyway, so 117 and 210. I'm weird, I know. So 117 to 210 um, is kind of the bookends of this text. And we're going to see as we close down in on that at at 22. Um, through two nine, you can see in your in your Bible it may kind of shift a little bit, and it's got some indentions. It's a little bit different. This is the only place in Jonah where it moves away from narrative. It is now moved to poetry in two two. And so, as just a just a simple rule of studying the Bible, hermeneutics, interpreting the Bible, let the genre be the genre. Narrative genre has one kind of thing that you want it to do. Poetry, it's a certain genre and it has another thing it wants to do. So just just remember, poetry is poetry. And so we're going to be looking at predominantly a poem here. This is, if you will, Jonah's Psalm. And it's a prayer of repentance for the lack of mission in his life. Um, Now, let's look at 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The sign of Sign of Jonah, Jesus um, was also in the in the grave three days and three nights. And then it said, um, as he's in the belly of the fish, notice what it says in two one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, "Now notice the tenses. This is very key because a lot of times we think it was over the three days where Jonah's you know in the fish, in the fish, in the fish. Maybe by day two, hour sixteen, hour eighteen, he's finally like, all right, God, it stinks bad enough in here. I'm finally going to repent for everything. And that's actually not the case. Um, this is." really more than likely a second prayer, third or fourth, but the very first prayer was not in the whale at all, or the fish or whatever you want to call it. It was actually in the water, okay? And you notice here, notice the tenses. And he says, he says this in the belly of the fish, I called out to the Lord. I called out to the Lord. So he's in the fish, maybe in and out of consciousness, and he's saying, this prayer, I'm going to recall the time where there was another time when I prayed, where I, I called out to the Lord in distress. So look at, the, look at the verse. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. So this prayer recorded in two is a recollection of a previous prayer. This previous prayer I want to submit to you is not in the fish, but in the water. Okay, and that's key. Um, and I'll, you'll see why. So the, the, most of this prayer, this distress and all these things is before the fish swallowed him when he's in distress and he knows he's about to die. And you can see also in uh, five, it says the waters are coming all over me and the deep surrounding me. Weeds were wrapped around me. And that's when I called out. And that's 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 in the water before. So um, here's the deal. The first thing that happens is not the appearance of the great fish that swallows Jonah. But the first thing is the cry of distress. He cried out for mercy and then the Lord appointed this great fish to rescue him. So um, the, the water is the threat of death. The fish is the refuge of salvation. The, the cry of distress is in the past tense in the water. And the, the voice of confidence and thanks is in the present in the fish. And while he's in the fish, he's recalling that moment of great distress. So here's the deal. <clears throat> As we're looking at this, we're going to see five things, five things that we need to, um, five aspects of, of repentance. Now, just the obvious thing, all right? This is really obvious. This is a prayer of repentance for lack of being on mission, for lack of being an evangelist, for lack of telling people about Jesus. But certainly, this prayer of repentance can serve for more than just your lack of being on mission. It can also be a prayer of repentance for you know, being engrossed in heinous, terrible sin. 
Um, you can work through this even if you're in terrible sin. This is a prayer of repentance for anything, um, but specifically here in Jonah 2, it's for lack of being on mission. So here's, here's the first thing that I want you to see. The very first thing I want you to see, the first aspect of a prayer of repentance. And let's just all acknowledge that we're all Jonah and we all need to repent, including myself, from lack of mission. What does that prayer of repentance look like? Here's the first one. The first thing is, in your distress, call out to God. In your distress, call out to God. He says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. He also says it in seven, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So I was, Jonah told the, the sailors, just kill me. Just throw me over. And they say, all right. You know, eventually they say, all right. Um, they tried for a while not to. They throw him over the ship. And then he's in the water and he sees that he's about to die. Waves are crashing. He's wrapped around in seaweed. seaweed and at this moment, he's thinking, all right, it's really going to happen. I'm going to die. Lord, help me. So he's in distress because of his lack of mission. Now, again, you might not have something as dramatic as this that wakes you up from your lack of mission. But there has to be something in your life that's going to wake you up and cause you to distress that you're not living missionally. I don't know what that will be. It can be very undramatic or dramatic. But every single one of you, including myself, needs the moment of distress. You can't do this prayer unless you feel distress. In your distress, call out to God. You might not even be distressed. And maybe you just need to pray, Lord, if if there's something in me that's not distressed about my lack of mission, wake me up. Cause me to understand it. Cause me to see why. Now, um, under this point number one, there's two things I want you to see. Um, these are 1A and 1B, if you will, um, that he does in this distress. The first thing is in verse 3 and in 5 and 6, it says um, he's acknowledging the consequences of his distress. He's acknowledging the consequences of his disobedience. God called him to go preach the gospel to, to Nineveh or call them to repentance. He doesn't do it. He's in the water. He's about to drown. And he acknowledges the consequence. He's acknowledging, all right, I'm about to die, God. This is what he says. For you cast me. Notice it says you. little side note. I know in 116, I think it's 16 or maybe it's 14 or 10. One of those. In chapter 1, it says the sailors or the mariners are the ones who threw him in. But here, Jonah is clear in saying... You threw me into the water. And this is just the way the Bible talks. There will be man does it freely on his own volition, on his own choice. And he is held accountable. And all the while, God was bringing that about. Man is responsible and God is sovereign. And that'll mess with your mind for many nights. But that's just a side note. To, maybe you won't sleep tonight. So anyway, you, you cast me into the deep into the hearts of the seas and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and billows passed over me. Um, and then it says in five, the waters closed in on my life to take me and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. This is an, a, a complete acknowledgement of the consequences. God, I'm about to die. I'm in distress and I see it. So whenever you're in distress, there may be consequences. There may be some things that God is putting on you for your lack of mission. And one of the first things we're supposed to do in this distress is acknowledge, okay, God, you've, you've waked me up. I see what's going on. Um, just a little side note here. Um, 
This is just kind of for free. And you see two bellies. In one, you see belly of the fish. And in two, you see belly of Sheol. Um, if it was still in the belly of the fish where he cried out for distress, it would say belly of fish twice. Um, it says belly of Sheol. And the Sheol in the, in the Bible is kind of the uh, picture of sometimes hell, but sometimes just the, the grave um, where the dead go. And this is kind of reflecting Jonah, like most of the Old Testament saints um, have a typical kind of limited un- Old Testament understanding of the grave. We have a much bigger advantage. It's been explained to us in the scriptures. So he's crying out from Sheol, but they thought literally Sheol was a grave, like and Sheol was a prison. And so that's why he says in, in verse six, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Like he really says, all right, I'm going in Sheol and, and somebody's closing the doors. Like the bars are being put in front of me. I'm really about to die. So, I mean, it's real in Jonah's life here. He's acknowledging without fail or without without a doubt that the consequences of his disobedience. And, and here's the deal. You can keep trucking on through life, not wanting to fulfill God's mission. But there may be consequences. There may be consequences eventually. Um, and you certainly don't want those. The, the second little aspect of this is to acknowledge the folly of fleeing his presence. In your distress, you need to acknowledge the folly of of fleeing his presence. And that comes from 4A. Look at 4A. It says, and A and B just mean, A just means the first half. B just means the second half. You'll see a lot of A's and B's here. Um, 4A says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. This driven away in 4A is, is banished, um, cast out from the sight of the Lord. Now, this is a grace of God. This is a very huge grace of God. That Jonah is acknowledging that this has lots of kind of overtones of chapter one. We know in chapter one in verse uh, three in chapter one, it says twice that Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord. It also says in verse 10 when he tells the sailors, you know, I'm, I serve God and I ran away. And it says he ran away from the presence of the Lord. And so we know in three times in chapter one where it clearly tells us Jonah fled away from the presence of the Lord. And this is Jonah Receiving the grace of God and saying, I've been fleeing from the presence of the Lord. God is showing him. He didn't know in chapter one, you know, he, he didn't know that he was running away from what we call the, when we say the presence of the Lord, we kind of talked about this last week. Um, this is really the felt presence of the Lord. Like you can't get away from God. There, there's nowhere you can go on earth where you're away from the presence of the Lord. God, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Um, And so there is no way to get away. But what we're talking about is the felt presence, meaning this. When you're in prayer every day on an ongoing basis, you feel in the presence of the Lord. When you're in the word every day, you feel you're in the presence of the Lord. When you're not entrenched in gross, disgusting sin, you feel like you're in the presence of the Lord. Right. And that's what he's talking about. And he's acknowledging. um, I was running away from the presence of the Lord when I wasn't on mission. So it's not just prayer, reading your Bible and sin, but it's also, and don't miss this. um, It's also not telling people about Jesus that can pull you away from the presence of the Lord. Some of you aren't ever experiencing the fullness of the presence of Jesus because you won't tell anybody about Jesus. You say, me and Jesus are fine. I do all these things. 
you're experiencing less of the presence of the Lord in your life because you're not telling people about Jesus. There's an, there's something about it. He's beginning to see right here. Jonah is that his relationship with God is very important. I want you, I don't want you to miss this truth here. God called him to preach to the Ninevites. So the Ninevites would get saved. No question about it, but God didn't need Jonah. God, God could just save the Ninevites in any way, but he chose to use Jonah specifically. Um, why did he want to do that? God called Jonah to preach the, to the Ninevites so that Jonah would realize he needed to come closer to God. Could have done it for anybody. So God is going to build the minister first before he builds the minister's ministry. God wants to do more in you than he wants to do through you. The reason why he called Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites is yes, so the Ninevites would get saved, but so that Jonah himself would get more of God. That's why he's calling you to go be an evangelist. It's not so that everybody can get saved. God is sovereign over all of salvation in the world. He'll he'll get the people saved. And he's chosen to do it by means of you telling them. And so you have to do it. But one of the greatest things about being on mission and telling people about Jesus is that you become closer to God in it. So he acknowledges the folly or the foolishness of fleeing from the presence of the Lord because it keeps him from him. All right. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, and this is this is crazy bold. Um, the second aspect of repentance is this. We'll see this in 4B and 6B. Know that restoration is coming. Know that rescue or re- restoration is coming, I should say. You can see this in 4B. Notice, notice the boldness that he says. He said, and then... Um, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. He had just talked about how much he was banished from the presence of the Lord. And then right after that, he says, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. That's, that's pretty gutsy language. That's confidence in God. How does he have such confidence? He says in 6b, he says, I went down to the land. The bars are closing in on me. I am literally about to be closed in on the prison of Sheol or the grave forever. And he goes, Yet you brought me up from life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, I know that everything's about to close in on me. I'm going to be driven away from your sight. But I know with repentance, I will be restored for sure. There's no question about it. I will be restored. Why does he have such confidence in God? Well, first of all, he was a prophet. So like he'd seen it a lot. You need to turn. You need to repent. The Lord's going to. Bring something bad here. And what happens? The worst of the worst turn and repent and come back to God. And you know what he sees God do? Forgive them. That's what he sees. And we see this confidence. Jonah even pins this confidence in 4.2 when he says, um, after he goes and preaches to, to the people in the second half, he goes, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah knew with absolute confidence that in a prayer of repentance, I can just know restoration's coming. I can know it. So here's the deal. Wherever you are, if you're acknowledging that you're Jonah, then just know when you come to God and say, I, I don't, I don't tell people about Jesus. I I clearly don't want to be in your presence. I want to flee from your presence in regard to being a missionary. You can 
confidently say, but I know you'll restore me. I know you'll restore me because you are a gracious God abounding in forgiveness. Now, you need to hold on to point two, number two, aspect two, because it's, it's quite needed for number three. It's quite needed for number three. Look at number three. Confess your sin directly and acknowledge, or not acknowledge, I, I didn't use acknowledge, did I? I used concede, admit, sorry. I, when you're right, you're not supposed to use acknowledge, or I'd already written acknowledge twice, so I'm trying to, you know, not use the same words over and over, so a thesaurus, acknowledge, and I, I used concede. Concede! Concede! Admit defeat! Never! I will never admit defeat! I will not concede! Um, so confess your sin is just a little funny joke between the staff. They know what I'm talking about. We played Trivial Pursuit one day, and I, I have to tell it again. I don't know why. We were playing Trivial Pursuit one day. The staff uh, guys against the staff girls or wives, and we played to like 2 a.m. And by midnight, the girls were so far ahead, and everybody wanted to go to bed. And somebody was yelling, just concede! And we wouldn't concede. And so the guys had this awesome comeback victory, and we went on the word Canada, or the name, like, what's the capital, or what's the... Country above America or something like Canada. It was something really easy. And we wouldn't concede, and we continued our, our, our winning streak, which is pretty awesome. So anyway, um, I wanted to use concede. Confess. Where am I? Yeah, confess your sin directly. Concede. Admit the vanity of it. Just admit. Admit it. No, I will not admit it. And that all comes from verse 8. Look at verse 8. Now, there's some interesting stuff about verse 8. But here, um, remember, first thing is, Know that there's restoration coming. How do we know there's restoration coming? Because we're going to confess our sin directly. We are going to absolutely confess our sin directly and acknowledge the vanity of it. And we know from the scriptures, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgiveness of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in 1 John. So we know that we can count on God restoring us when we confess. Now, I want you to see something here. Throughout this entire prayer, and this... This kind of gets to the question of what kind of repentance did Jonah have? Like, really? Half-hearted? Full-on? We can look at the rest of the narrative and say it seemed pretty half-hearted. It seemed, uh, you know, not so great when he's lounging in his lounge chair waiting for the fireballs to fall on everybody and God's not doing it. And then he cries like a baby because his plant's gone, right? God, kill them all! What the world? So I don't know how good his repentance was. Um, and I think this might be a little picture into it. Let, let me see. Let, let me let you see this. Um, all the way from verse 7 and down, the pattern is, I, Jonah, do this. You, God, do this. I, you. I, you. First person and then over to second person. First person, I. Um, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. Um, you cast me and then you cast me. And then he goes, I said I'm driven away in verse 4. And then verse 6, I went down. And then verse 7, yet when I remembered, I remember the Lord, my prayer came to you. And then verse 8 shifts over. Look at this. And the place where it's the clearest place where I'm going to acknowledge sin. This is the sin. Idolatry. And he goes, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What do you mean? Why not I? I forsook my heart to vain idols. Why not? I don't know. But I think that it's probably given us a little picture into the rest of the narrative. But here I put on point three, confess your sin directly. Admit and concede it. The vanity of it. So what I want you to know is this. Just because Jonah has 
maybe, perhaps, half-hearted repentance does not mean at all that you are to have half-hearted repentance when it comes to your lack of missionary zeal or your lack of wanting to see people come to Christ. Maybe Jonah did. But this should be a lesson for you to say, I am an idolater. And he, cl- he, he clearly shows us that this lack of missionary zeal is paying regard to vain idols. Vain idols. Um, this is objects of worship that aren't God. Objects of worship that aren't God. Those are vain gods. Um, w- what would be your idols? What would be the things that you worship instead of God that keep you from wanting to do the work of God? Usually they'll fall in kind of three big categories. Money, sex, and power. Usually you want money. You serve money. You need it. You, you spend lots of time pursuing money. Or it's sex. You need to find a spouse if you don't have one. And the one you have you're not satisfied with. Or you, know, you give yourself over to all kinds of immorality. Or power. You need and crave to be over in people and authority of people. You just want to have power over people. And those three things are idolatry. And he's saying, whenever you're not on mission, you should repent of that because it is idolatry. Now, I don't want you to miss the second half of it because this is probably one of the most astounding parts of of the chapter. Those who find themselves giving themselves over to idolatry. Whenever you confess this sin, and it's called vanity. Why is it vanity? Because of, look at this, those who do that, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. This steadfast love is the chesed. You've got to get it in there, like chesed. It's nasty, but it's, this is the covenant, the covenant term that God used for His unfailing mercy and loving kindness. This is the chesed, the chesed of God. If you... Pursue idolatry. You are willingly saying, God, I don't want your unfailing love and mercy and loving kindness on me. I want that idol. I don't want the covenant love of which you love your people with. Now, this could also be rendered chief good, which just gives us more of a picture that this this peace that's being offered that we would forsake if we want idols. This chief good is God himself. We are literally saying, God, I don't want you. I want my idol. I don't want you. So that's vanity. Everything passes away in this world. But God never does. So we have to confess our sin directly and acknowledge the vanity of it. Now, which brings us down to four. I'm sorry, verse nine. And just look at the second half. Uh, and, and well, read the first half because, but I, with voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I have vowed what I will pay. And then he dec- makes this declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So here's the fourth point or fourth aspect of a confession of repentance, lack of mission. We, all of us need to come to the place where we will say, I declare my need for salvation from the Lord. There's a name. There's a guy named Edmund Clowney who says that Jonah two nine B is the central verse in all the Bible. This is the this verse right here shines out bright as the message of the entire Bible. Salvation is from the Lord. If you understand Jonah 2:9, you can understand the entire Bible. If you understand Jonah, you can understand the Bible. The man runs, 
God pursues him anyway, brings him back, brings him through repentance and restores him. And he, he declares salvation is from the Lord. That's the whole narrative of the whole Bible. And so he says salvation is from the Lord. This is the crowning summation of the entire psalm of Jonah, or the entire poem of Jonah here. Spurgeon says this when he's talking about salvation being from the Lord. He says that it, salvation, it is God sourced in its planning and its execution and its application, meaning God plans it, God executes it and he applies it. God does it all. And it's also and it's being sustained in the human heart. Your salvation, the ongoing sustaining of it is done by God as well. And it's ultimate perfection, in its internal state, your glorification. All that is from God. Salvation belongs to God and you and I must declare, God, I need your salvation, whether you're outside of Christ or inside of Christ and you're straying away. We all must come to the point and says, God, I need your salvation. Please, Lord, restore me or bring me into or save me for the first time. Declare your need for salvation. Which brings us to the fifth thing. Now, here's the deal. Some of us will just kind of do that and we'll just feel like we got beat up, you know, and then we're done. and We're like, OK, it's all over. But we sometimes don't take this last step, which is really the, a beautiful step. It's not painful at all. This last one's awesome. And it's this. Declare your I'm sorry. Experience your deliverance and forgiveness. Experience your deliverance and forgiveness. We see that in 210. He gets to experience it in a very, very profound way. He literally experiences deliverance when he's vomited out. This is one of the few times we can actually say this is some grace filled vomit here. Um, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up upon the dry land. He is experiencing right now, like literally being forgiven or delivered. And we can see it also in nine, nine a where Jonah says, I'm going to turn now. He goes, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Notice the language of sacrifice is just like the sailors in 116, where they say they're going to sacrifice to. Jonah um, is, is using that exact same language. And then he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. What I have vowed, I will pay. In verse 80, he says pay. And he says that you can pay your regard to vain idols or... Here, you can pay regard and keep your vow. You can worship idols or you can worship God. And he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. What does that mean? What does it mean to say, what I have vowed, I will pay? What he's vowed is this. Jonah's a prophet. He was called of God to go preach repentance. That's what he vowed to do. And he's saying, you've called me to do that. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to experience now the restoration, the forgiveness and the deliverance from my sin and go do the work you've called me. You've called me to be a preacher of repentance and I'm going to do it. And here's the deal. You're no different. You have a vow. If you are in Christ, you are a believer. Not only are you forgiven, but you've also made the vow as a believer. Yes, God, I will proclaim the gospel to people. That's my job. And I, just like Jonah, all of us need to say to experience my deliverance fully. I also have to be the person that uses my mouth to tell them. That's why he says in this verse, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. I haven't used my voice yet, 
but I'm going to use it now. Sometimes when we hear voice of thanksgiving, we just think singing. But Jonah's actually saying, as I sing, which is worship, I'm also going to use my voice to go tell people about Christ. And I'm going to worship with my voice of calling people to repentance. Going to obey what God has told me. And every single one of us who aren't doing that, as we've gone through this prayer of repentance, the last step is experiencing the deliverance and forgiveness is doing it now. Now actually taking part in telling people about Christ. That's how you experience it. So we've kind of talked through here some of the uh, some of the things um, of what a prayer of repentance looks like. We we find ourselves in distress. If we're not in distress, we need to freak out a little bit and ask why we're not in distress. And as we distress, we acknowledge the consequences. We acknowledge the folly. And then we know restoration's coming because we're going to confess our sin. And when we confess our sin, we know that he's going to forgive us. And we're going to repent from that sin. Um, we're going to declare our need for salvation. We always need to be willingly, ongoingly, if that's a word, declaring our need for salvation. And then lastly, finally, I mean, the beauty of it all, experience the deliverance. V- keep our vow. Be the evangelist. Do the work of telling people about Christ. So there's, there's really three kind of conclusions I want to draw out for us here. As Jonah um, emerges from the fish, vomits or gets vomited from the fish, there's a few things that have changed in the heart of Jonah. Maybe not fully, maybe not in its fullest sense, but at least in some way. The first thing is this, that Jonah has a new sense of compassion for people. He has a new sense. These won't be on the screen. He has a new sense of compassion. Now, I don't know that it's a full compassion because we see later that he still wants them dead, but he still goes. He obeys. That's a some sense of compassion. So as you're emerging from this, I'm hoping that the Lord is stirring within you a deep compassion for people that you know need Christ. I I know you know somebody. You can probably think of three people right now that you need to have compassion for. Jonah emerges with compassion. We all today need to emerge with compassion. The second thing we see is this. He also has a new sense of commitment. In in verse 9, he says, I'm going to keep my vow we must also renew our commitment. He's going to keep his vow in proclaiming the gospel. We need to keep our vow in being the mouthpieces of proclaiming the gospel. Um, we're ambassadors. We have God making his appeal through us, as Second Corinthians 5 says. And so we need to renew that commitment to be called to mission. If we're running away, either actively or passively like Jonah, then we all need to come back and say, that's it. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to renew my commitment right now. Because here's the deal. There is not one person in heaven that you're going to be able to preach the gospel to that hadn't heard it. You can't save one person in heaven. They're already saved. This is your window. Renew your commitment right now. This is the time where you can see people, because of you, meet Christ. And when you don't, we're fleeing from the presence. We're willingly saying, I want idols and not God. And then here's the last sense. And this is just probably one of the most astounding things is that Jonah has a new sense of God. He has a new he has a new uh, compassion for people. He has a new commitment. And he also just has a new sense of God. He declares in verse nine something he already knew. Salvation is from the Lord. Why did he say that? He already knew that he'd seen it. There's not a moment where we need to stop coming to an understanding salvation belongs to the lord 
he's reminded again and again that God is a saving God. We talked about this last week when we said God is sovereign in all evangelism. But in, the evangel- in, the, in his sovereignty of saving people, he's very evangelistic. God desires people to be saved. And he's having a new sense of God and remembering salvation belongs to God. God wants people saved. He'll do whatever it takes to save people, even if it means for the missionary, you and me, it's not safe for us. He emerges nasty and stinky, lily white, probably, realizing God wants people saved and he's going to do whatever it takes to get them saved through me. He wants me to wake up. So the three days in the fish of Jonah serve as the deliverance and the forgiveness for Jonah. Yet it also foreshadows and represents something much larger. For us, our deliverance and our forgiveness is Jesus being buried three days in the grave and then resurrecting from the dead, ensuring our forgiveness. And now for us, we live And we experience the awesome wonder of this deliverance every single day. Here's the deal. If you are recognizing right now. Yeah, this is me. And I probably need to spend a little time in Jonah too. And I probably need to spend some time in real repentance. Confession of a lack of wanting to be on mission. Confession of not wanting to see people get saved. Besides maybe just um, doing nice things for them. Rather than you telling them the gospel. Rather than shoving it off to someone else. And you're seeing that in your life. The message of Jonah is Jesus has already declared. That guilt you're feeling right now. That guilt is completely forgiven already. That's the wonder of the gospel. You live in the awestruck wonder of being completely forgiven right now for your lack of missionary zeal. You don't have to go cower in a corner and say, oh, for three days, I just stink for so bad. You don't have to spend your three days in a whale. Here's the deal. Jesus has already done that for you and you're completely forgiven now. Walk in that forgiveness. Walk in that. You know it's yours. There is no price you have to pay. You can, with this confidence that he has, know there's restoration, not coming, but has already come for us. So you may want to work through this prayer of repentance, all the while remembering the gospel, that you are completely forgiven in Christ. And just say, okay, my last five years, ten years has really stunk as a missionary. But right now is the day. I ain't messing around anymore. I don't, have any, I don't have very long. I can't witness for eternity in heaven. So today's the day. I'm going to walk out of these doors absolutely determined that the people that bring God, God brings in my life, I'm not going to treat them like the Ninevites. I'm going to proclaim the gospel to them. And there's lots of grace and means through that, which that can happen. But you are completely forgiven. 
always experience the deliverance. And always live in the gospel. So we're going to go into a time of worship now where we declare our need for God and we celebrate the gospel. And so wherever you are in that, declaring your need for God or celebrating the gospel, wherever the Holy Spirit's leading that, maybe you need to just declare your need and you need to stay seated and pray through this prayer right now, declaring your just need of forgiveness, or you just need to stand and celebrate the gospel. I'm completely forgiven no matter how much of a mess up I am. Thank you, Lord. So over the next few songs here, however the Holy Spirit's leading, I just invite you to draw in and worship with us. Stand whenever you're ready. Pray, read the scriptures, whatever the Holy Spirit's leading. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your, your text of scripture that leads us to repentance. That shows us where we can confess. Shows us where we can repent. But God always, always shows us Jesus who has bore all the consequences for us. And we stand in front of you completely forgiven if you were a child. If we have put our faith in Christ, we are 100% given, forgiven. And we can't get over that forgiveness. Be with us now as we worship. And wherever the Holy Spirit is leading all of us, whether we need to confess and ask for repentance and pray and eventually stand or just stand now basking in the glory of the gospel. Lord, may we be obedient to it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.